You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact, handy carrying case, and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade. The other handle has the saw that comes with it. So, I use the saw to split the pelvis, and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out, right? So uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple, very easy, and the the knife is sharp. And uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. We have an awesome episode today. I'm going to try to keep this intro short because the episode is fairly long. But uh, we got a guy named Jonathan Payne out of Missouri, and uh, he reached out to me with a pretty cool story, uh, which I love when a, uh, a story kind of starts in an, a place that maybe it shouldn't, right? Or, or we don't think of California as a a hunting destination but as most of us know or maybe you do maybe you don't that uh, California has hunting and today's guest lived in California up until he was 15 16 or 17 something like that years old and uh, he cut his teeth spot and stalk mule deer hunting in the mountains of California Uh, fast forward a couple years he ends up having to move to Missouri with his family and has to basically teach himself how to hunt again for whitetails and uh, there's a learning curve story in there and uh and, and that's the the birth of this guy's um, hunting uh, career i guess you could say then he kind of uh, i know i'm telling you what this is but you know then he he gets familiar with public land right he gets uh, familiar with the mobile style of hunting and uh, the second part of this uh, episode is basically him telling the story of his 2020 buck and how he backdoored this buck using water uh, it's a really cool story i thought you guys might like it so uh, we decided to uh, bring it to air so that's what today's episode is about it's a little bit of a hunter profile a little bit hunting strategy a success story um, you know, just a BS session of sorts. I guess all these podcasts are really BS sessions, but uh, it's a really good episode, and uh, hopefully you guys can take something away from it. And the best part about this story, I'll just fast forward here and just say, the dude shoots it from the ground. And I love stories where there's uh, like a, a sense of unpredictability. So we got that going for us. Listen close because he drops a lot of knowledge, in my opinion, on uh, you know the over things that may go overlooked uh, when you're looking for fresh sign and stuff like that. So really cool story. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Before we get started, though, I'm just going to do a real quick commercial. All four of the current partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Huge shout out to the companies like Vortex, Wasp Archery, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, and uh, oh my God, Ozonics, 
right? So huge shout out to those companies. Um, thank you, right? Thank you very much for your support. Thank you very much for uh, believing in me. Uh, thank you very much for uh, um, supporting me financially and with product uh, because that supports my family and uh, I appreciate that. Uh, and lastly, to you guys, all the companies that I just mentioned make incredible products and the people that work for these companies are incredible people. Um, so please take some time out of your day and go visit, do some research into Ozonics and Wasp and Vortex and Lone Wolf portable tree stands because uh, they put out products that can meet your needs. I guarantee it. So, and if you ever have any questions about those products, feel free to reach out to me through Instagram and uh, I'll do my best to help answer those questions. So there's that. Let's get into today's, uh, we'll just call it a hunter profile podcast with Jonathan Payne. Three, two, one. All right. On the podcast with me today, all the way from the show me state, Mr. Jonathan Payne. How we doing, man? Doing good. How about you, Dan? Oh, I'm ready to shoot a turkey in the face. I'm going to be honest with you. Oh, oh my goodness. I got I got kind of a midi turkey tour coming up starting next week in Tennessee. And so I'm getting pretty fired up, too. Where, I've been fired up the last couple of weeks. Where are you going? Tennessee, uh, where right else? Between the lakes. Or, okay. Yeah. All right. So kind just right Tennessee? Yeah, just Tennessee. Well, I'm going to Tennessee, and then for U season, I got a couple boys, 115, 110. So I got to come back to uh, my home state of Missouri for U season. Gotcha. And then, um, depending on how we do in Tennessee, I'll either go back to Tennessee or go to Nebraska. Okay. I got I got some buddy in, buddies in Nebraska that uh, do really good. So uh, either or. Yeah. If I, if I feel like changing it up, I'll go to Nebraska. I gotcha. Yeah, man, I'll tell you this. I want to, um, uh, I want to expand my turkey hunting profile like I do with my big game hunts. Um, cause for me, tur- honestly, turkey hunting's three days a year. I go, I, I go out Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then it's back to business as usual. I don't, I don't, I don't do anything more. And up until recently, even this year, man, I, Turkey is always secondary for me, and I I tend to burn all of my bridges <laughs> during the <laughs> the whitetail, my elk, and uh, mule deer hunts, and so that the spring I just like I'm pretty uh, leery as to if I want to ask the wife if I can disappear for a week in April to go you know hunt turkeys somewhere else. So I don't know. I've always yeah, man. I I hear you. It's 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 deer three hundred sixty five for me yeah and uh i like to say I, I i do i get most of my brownie points spin up in the fall too and um luckily uh my wife's pretty lenient I, she lets me off quite a bit to yeah run around yeah i feel you all right so you you live in missouri what part of missouri do you live in i live in a town called rhineland it's right in between columbia and st louis okay all right, on the east side of the state, then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right, right, kind of right off I seventy. Okay. About ten miles. All right. Uh, what do you do for a living? I work at a stave mill. We make uh, wine and whiskey barrels. Wine and whiskey barrels. That's unique. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Who, yeah. It's, who it's, are your clients? Yeah. Like, do you know like who you send those barrels like Knob to? Knob Creek, Jim. Knob Creek, Jim Bean. Um, there's some other ones I can't think of, and and then all of our uh, wine is export, so it's all overseas. Okay. Like, so that's crazy, man. I've never. Uh, the actual main first. company is independent. Excuse me. You might be a first. That might be the first time anybody has been on this podcast, and we're pushing up on 600 some podcast with, and that's the first time I've ever met anybody or talked to anybody that has this that this job. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty prevalent around this area. And then uh, just the, the further east you go, like Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, we have some mills. Uh, our, we have a cooperage, which actually makes the barrels in Lebanon. So um, I've been doing it for a while. I love it. It's, you know, you're working with wood, you're working with your hands all day. And uh, sometimes you even get to sample some of the product they give you. That's so awesome. That's man. always nice. So what part of the process do you work on? 
we actually we get the logs and then uh, we actually make the rough cuts for the stays for the actual pieces of the barrel. Okay, and then you ship them off and, and someone them, else, uh, someone else. Yeah, to, we yeah. put them in we put them in kilns, dry them, and then we send them to like Lebanon where they actually make the barrels. Okay. Or Tennessee, Tennessee, Kentucky, stuff like that, or our wine, which we call our export, that goes overseas to our wine stuff. Oh, that's awesome, man! Sweet. Yeah. That's a unique. Uh, it's, it's a definitely unique. Process. Yeah. I have a distillery right next to my house. Um, I wonder if you guys send your stuff to them. And I'm only saying that because of geographical location. Like, uh, I'm not too, I'm maybe a three and a half, four hour drive from where I live to St. Louis. So yeah, that's cool, man. It, it, it could, it could be, um, from what I know, a lot of our stuff goes, like I said, down to uh, Lebanon, Missouri, and then a lot of it goes like Jim Bean, they might have they might have one there in Iowa or I don't know what the company is that uh distills your stuff, but Yeah. Uh we're we're pretty big. We've been in business for over a hundred years, so oh, it's cool. pretty prevalent. Yeah. So people love booze. Expanding. That's not gonna change. Oh my goodness. Especially <laughs> especially these times. I know, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, I I, I, I kinda feel blessed because, you know, that this COVID hit uh, that we got busier because everybody wanted to start making hand sanitizer and stuff like that. So some of our distilleries switched over to making hand sanitizer. Yeah. So we had to make a whole much more different uh, barrels than what we were used to. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. It's like hard times mean good profits for uh, people who make uh, wine and spirits and beer and whatever. I, I talked to the local uh, uh, liquor store here um, in, in my neighbor or in my, uh, town and the lady who owns it, she's like, I'm having the best year ever. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I don't know, man. I, I put, a, I put a post out on Instagram, uh, towards the end of the season and I was just, we were rabbit hunting. I was kind of just reflecting on everything that happened over the last year. And I was starting to feel kind of guilty because I'd had like one of my best years ever in the woods and my wife, she works in physical therapy, uh, field. And uh, I work in the, you know, in the these distilleries, the alcohol, and it's like we had a booming year. We were we we're like so blessed, and I just started feeling guilty. I just, yeah. But I just put out a post about being so thankful about, you know, everybody's having a hard time, but yeah, you know, if you just keep fighting, you you make it through to the end. And absolutely, uh, man, absolutely. Well, let's talk about one of those things that put a smile on your face this year, and that was a picture of this uh, big public land eight point that you uh sent me and i'd love to get uh i'd love to get uh, the down low on this but first i, I kind of want to ease into it uh, through the back door here and just like how long have you been a bow hunter my whole life that's oh. the first, that's what i started doing i'm actually uh from california my grandpa he we got into bow hunting mule deer and so ever since like my early recollections five five six years old i can remember Bow hunting for mule deer. Really? What what part of California? Uh, Lake Tahoe, Reno, Nevada area. I got gotcha. you. Uh, Portola is actual the, my you know where it was at. Okay. So, and when did you move to Missouri? Ninety seven. Okay. How old are you now? I just turned forty. All right. So yeah, March fifth. Same age as me, man. All right. That's cool. Yeah. So you had this. You had this kind of uh, um, upbringing in the in the mountainous areas chasing mule deer yeah i i ever since i can remember you know, i love like everything stopped in august because that's when the season started and I, I just uh it was deer it was deer way back then it was just a different yeah. species different, yeah different type of deer yeah um and then you kind of hunted that all the way up until you were 17 or whenever you decided to or whenever you moved to uh, missouri yeah, I hunted them every year uh, till family. Uh, we all moved to Missouri. I had some other family out in Missouri, and uh, we all decided, you know, we needed a change, and uh, we all came out east. Yeah, what was that? Um, what was that transition like for you from mule deer in the mountains to, uh, you know, the this ag field timber, heavy timber type terrain that Missouri is. Uh. It was it was a little hard at first because uh, I was I was into the spot and stock yeah um, 
it out there at that time uh we did a lot of road hunting um and so it was just i had to slow myself down uh and kind of pay attention a little bit more right and so uh being 17 and full of everything you know <laughs> everything yeah uh it was hard it was hard to get used to that sometimes uh and it was a slow process i had I had a lot of luck early because I was just out there all the time. Yeah, but it, it took me a little bit to get to to transition into kind of switch over. Just, okay, so um, how how far into this new way of hunting for a different species until you started feeling comfortable and started finding success? Um, well, like I said, I ha- I started having success kind of the first after about the first second or third year yeah uh, i had some i had some good some old some mentors some old timers that lived around the area that had hunted their whole lives so i picked up little pieces here and there um but like consistent success on my own it was i was probably in my mid mid 20s yeah right up to about about 30 when i kind of you know it just it would just pick up little stuff here and there. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it takes guys a little bit for it all to click. And yeah. then it started clicking. Yeah. So would you say there was any particular aha moments through this uh, course of you advancing yourself as a bow hunter that just really stuck out? And you're like, holy shit, I've been doing this wrong the whole time. Or was it more gradual? It was, it was more gradual. Um, like I, I would hunt fence lines a lot. I, I found a lot of success hunting fence lines up against private. That was that was good. Um, I was just I was out there so much that uh, that was that was how I killed a lot of them. I got gotcha. you. Just being out there. Yeah. Uh, so now you, you know you you get married and have kids and your time kind of yeah. <laughs> goes to other areas. So you gotta you gotta be a little bit more proficient. And, uh, I. I, I I can I fancy myself I can point at a map and look at an area and I can tell you where the deer or especially the bucks are going to be. Yeah. And so it, it makes it a lot nicer when you can go in there and just kind of snipe them like that. Yeah. So early the the success you had early was almost a little bit different of a strategy where you just you were out there all the time and because you blanketed the area uh, you you found your success because of the time spent in the woods. Exactly. All you right. just yeah. You kind of just uh, not wear them down, but you just kind of like you know those mark off those macro adjustments. Every you know exactly. every yeah yeah I, I feel you. Um, then that's how I was, man. Early on, where I was, um, I, did, I did the same thing. I, I had the ability to hunt all the time, and it's almost like. I didn't because I had the ability to hunt all the time. I, I th- there was less thought put into strategy. Uh, right, exactly. That's that's the way I was. I, right. I like I enjoyed being out there so much, and I just it was you know my time, and I, I was more concerned about being out there and enjoying it than I was. Uh, you know, I hunt public, so it's not. I'm not hunting like super big bucks. Yeah. Uh, I just, I love shooting deer. I love hunting deer. And I was just, that was enough for me at that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and it was just, uh, it just took me a little bit. I, I changed something here and then during the off season, I think about this, the season before and then going into the next season, I change, I, I adjust and it just, you know, got better and better. Gotcha. Now, did, did you cut your teeth or this whole time have you been hunting public or has it been a mixture of public and private? Uh, it with mule deer it was completely public uh and when i moved out here we moved on a 200 acre farm uh so i hunted that a little bit but i also hunted public so it was a mix yeah and the buck you shot this year on um was on public what is there a difference between hunting public and private as far as strategy is concerned oh definitely um you you got when you're hunting private, you, you you don't really have to. If you're hunting with good people, you don't have to really worry about other people. And I find, especially around here, that's everybody hunts, and so you got to kind of hunt the people and the deer. Yeah, yeah, and that seems to be a theme where um, 
you know, and I don't necessarily think it is, and this is my opinion, but I don't necessarily think it is a public private matter. I think it's more of a pressure, no pressure, like low pressure, high pressure type of deal. Because I, I mean, I'll be honest, I hunt on, uh, a private piece that has a lot of pressure. Um, and you just have to be smart about it. Uh, like, and just like you said, man, one of those things, one of those things that I, find it is, you know, you want to get on a, you want to try to find this uh, routine of a particular buck. Well, you can find a routine of a hunter and watch how the, that routine of the deer changes. And if you can identify that, you can capitalize on, on that and, and put yourself in, and that's the way I look at it. I mean, put it, put yourself into a position where, you know, you can backdoor or get in between that movement. And I don't know, I just, when people, exactly. yeah, when people just like hunt these field edge, it's almost like, well, thank you for doing the same thing every day. No deer are going to continue exactly. to come by here. So, and it, it it seems like a lot of times it's a whole lot easier to pattern the hunters than it is the deer. Oh which yeah, we're supposed to be the smarter ones. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sitting here thinking one of my best bucks. Uh, it came from private because of I I. I did it specifically because I, f- I figured out the routine of the private guys and they pushed it on to public. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure you're not the only guy in the, in the United States who's doing that. You know what I mean? No. And, and, and it's, I mean, it's not a new thing I know, but fin finds, like, that's like one of my number one things. Back when I was younger, I used to go deep in the middle of everything. Uh, but I've found recently my best success is on fence lines something close to that good private uh terrain you know not not all fence lines are created equal but if you you find some good terrain on private and you can get up on 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 the fence line uh you can do really good yeah what is it like give give me a little bit more detail about this terrain feature like this is the first this is kind of a first time we've ever heard somebody talk about like liking fence lines, right? Is it the, you're hunting fence line because it's close to private or is there something about the terrain and this, uh, fence line that makes, uh, it funnels deer down or it, it keeps deer on one side or the other, or it allows deer to cross. I mean, what specifically about this fence line hunting do you like? Um, it's a little bit, a little bit of everything. Um, if you, you got a good, a good crop field uh where i hunt it's a lot of um it's core so you don't have the ag right in that particular area or that in that, that particular area that i where i killed that buck so I, I look for ag fields that are on private that are real close uh to the public where the the bedding and the the, the travel is more on public than it is on private um or terrain features where it could be completely opposite where I got some places here close to home where all the ag is on public and all the good terrain and bedding is on the private. So I just swap, I, you know, I do the same thing just in reverse. Yeah. Uh, little pinch points, you know, uh, little, little spots. Uh, there's a spot where, especially where I killed this one, it's surrounded by private. And so you just find these little slivers of public where they're moving through just a small spot, a uh, pinch point or a funnel. Yeah. Uh, just a little train feature where they have to come through there. Yeah. They're just using it for just, and so it's, it's a little bit of everything. You just, you just, it's, it's a process to learn. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of happy and I'm kind of thankful that I, I can look at a map and I can you know, that would be a good spot or that wouldn't be a good spot. CRP, you know, a good CRP field on, on a pub private would be, I mean, I love those. Yeah. Because, um, you know, they're, 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 deer are a edge creature. And if you got any kind of, if it's the same thing on the fence line, all the, you know, on both sides, I kind of, I kind of shy away from that. It, you, if you got an edge where you got a, a hard edge where it's open ag field or CRP, and then it goes into timber into public, all th- uh, those are the ones I key in on. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I tell you what, I, I agree with you 100% on this edge thing, man. I've never noticed that more than in the past couple of years where um, uh, I think I've, I mentioned on a couple other podcasts that, you know, uh, I think it was like five years ago now, maybe even, yeah, probably five years ago, they came through and they logged it, right? So the it opens everything up and then now everything has a gro- five years of growth. It's created all this new edge. And then when you go out there and you do your scouting, you can see the trails just right along the, this new edge that has been created in the timber. And it, they, you're a hundred percent right, man. They love walking. They bed in, in the thickness, but all the trails and movement are on the outside of it. And uh, right. that's, that is that's, where, that's yeah, that's where I shot my buck this year where he was at, he was on edge. Uh, I shot my buck in 2000 and, uh, or 2019. He was on edge 2018. He was, hell, he was on edge. I mean, they were all right on, right. Even close. If not on the edge, real close to the edge and, uh, of, of thick and open or some kind of transition. And, uh, man, you're not lying there. No, it, you know, if people would really look and and think back of encounters they have, a lot of people would say that uh, even scouting, you know, you spook deer. If you would really analyze where you spooked and where they were, right? I mean, they don't have to be fifty yards into this thick brush. A lot of times, they're just hanging right there on the edge and they're walking. They're watching everything that comes through. That's uh, a fact. This, you know, in the open. They, yeah. they, I mean, they're they're and and there's especially big bucks they're they're strategic in where they're you know if if people would just slow down like i had to do and just really uh pay attention to what the deer are doing you know they they don't do anything by accident they right. do things on purpose and if people would just you know slow down and analyze things they would be they'd be saying the same things you know if they're not going to be in these open hardwoods if you want to shoot a doe or you know there's so many deer you're going to be able to shoot a deer but if you want to kind of up your game and shoot a little bit higher caliber deer walk these edges i I don't even walk open hardwoods anymore i don't even look at them i if i walk that edge yeah I i walk that edge and that's where i do my stuff yeah and i and you know you kind of made another great point there, and that is this this observation that needs to happen when a guy goes into the woods. Uh, like, and and some of this observation isn't a one time thing. And I mentioned this uh, during one of these scouting episodes where you really do need to be in the timber in all four seasons just to uh, like in the winter time you may not be able to identify uh, an edge as easy as you can in the spring or fall when all the foliage starts, you know, growing back up in the spring or, um, or falling off in the fall. And then, cause it, it takes, it takes more than one time in a piece of timber to, or really anywhere to identify good edge because it can look like good, you know, good, um, timber in, I don't know, look like, decent edge in the winter time let's say when you're scouting but then you come back and it's not as thick as you thought it was going to be or it's extra thick in there and it may they may not be traveling through it because it's almost too thick but um so that's why i i feel like guys need to get out there multiple times a year to identify these locations um and then you know you match you match up what you find with a terrain feature and that that's for me how i how i do a lot of locating where I'm going to uh, set a tree stand up. Absolutely. There, there's, I'm thinking here, there's, there's times just in this last uh, spring or this early spring, late, late winter, whatever you want to call it. Um, especially in this particular area where I killed this buck and we went back in there and did some more scouting and areas that were super thick in the fall. If, if I didn't know anything about it and I walked in there right now, I wouldn't think there would be edge there because it, there's just nothing. Right. But when them briars and stuff get up and uh, start, you know, uh, fully, you know, greening up, growing leaves, yep, and just it creates this edge, and and so you you hit the nail on the head, the head there. It's you got to be you got to be out there all the time, you know. Yeah. If, if you're like say again, if you want to, anybody can go in the woods and kill a deer, I think. But if you want to kind of 
up your game and shoot a little bit better buck, you need to you need to be out there all the time. Right. And uh, analyze things. Yeah, that's a fact. All right, so let's talk about um, this buck that you shot. And that was the, your 2020 buck, right? Yep, it was just this last year. Yep. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about where this deer was living and how you found him. Uh, I actually, uh, I this it's the first time I've ever seen that deer. Okay. Uh, we were turkey hunting the area that spring before, and uh, we were looking on the maps and. It's one of them, it, it, it's core land, so it's lake. And so it was one of these coves that just went up, and it was just surrounded by all this good-looking pub, uh, private. And me and my hunt buddy uh, were like, man, we need to go check that out. And so uh, we checked it out in the, in the summer a couple times, and just it looked so good. And... I killed them early, so I wasn't, when I killed them, I wasn't even, we weren't even really hunting. Yeah. We were just scouting and uh, got lucky. It, it was, it was kind of just one of them fluke things, I think, that, that it happened. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit of it, luck uh, mixed in with previous knowledge of an area, kind of, you know, like yeah. you're, you're, you were turkey hunting it and you're like, oh man, this looks really good. I bet you a good deer live in here. It was one of them things. It wasn't. It 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 was it was uh, kind of a right place, right time, kind of a deal. Yeah. Uh, you just sometimes all you gotta do is just put yourself in a good area, and you just that's all you need to do. And yeah. This is what one of them times. Yeah. So there's there's a growing popularity or a trend that I'm seeing uh, in the the public land run and gun type mentality, and that is backdooring a good piece by water. Um, and so did you, did you do that there where you were, did you take a boat to get in there? In, in years past, we would have had to, but this, the, the lake was so low that we didn't have to. Okay. Um, we, we did backdoor it from where everybody else would come in. Uh, we kind of walked the, the edge of the water, uh, which made it a lot longer walk, but, um, we, we skirt, we, we didn't mess anything up and we just. We played it smart, so yeah. we in a, we did backdoor it. Okay, so let's talk specifically about what made this area. Talk about the terrain features. Talk about you know maybe some of the boundaries because it sounds to me I know exactly what you're talking about because right next to my house I have a big lake and it's core of engineer ground, which however many. Um, like it's just the whole lake is surrounded by public land, but then there is a past that it's all private so it's just like a ring around the whole lake of public so there are some places you can't even access this public except by boat if you you mean i'm sure you could do what you did and walk the shoreline all the way up but it can be pretty long and pretty gnarly up in there uh sometimes so talk a little bit about this the terrain that this buck or that this buck was living in uh, whether you knew he was there or not why do you think this buck called that place home uh it was a place that guys like it was one of those areas where guys didn't get to like it was back where public guys couldn't get to him and the from what i seen the private guys rifle hunted it and that was about it so and they didn't do a whole lot of moving around like they had big permanent box blinds and yeah. Um, he was, he was just living, he was living along the edge of the cove where it was thick and, um, at night he could just pop up into the CRP or the, the ag fields and the, on the private. Yeah. And he was just, he was living in that cove, uh, where nobody ever, ever bothered him. Uh, the train, it was just little fingers, fingers that, uh, creeks that dumped off into the lake. So it was, it was just. You know, kind of like an Ozark uh, water edge where it's just kind of rocky, oaks, um, briars, cockleburs. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, your typical Midwest uh, lake, lake uh, edge. Gotcha. So do you, think he, do you think he was traveling very far? Let me ask you this. What time of year did you kill him? 
September oh, 18th. Early. Early. Yeah, I, uh, it was the third hunt I was on. It's the first time I ever killed one uh, that early. Okay. And our, our opener is the 15th. All right. So did you did you go in there before and see any good sign or, you know, the first was this a first time in kill him type deal? Uh, that particular that particular spot that deep in that was the first time we went that deep in. Okay. Um, my my hunting buddy he had been in there further up in it uh, and seen some good trails and stuff like that. But like I said, this was just kind of a scouting thing. We kind of uh, we we went about halfway up into the cove. We didn't even go where we would have if we were like in kill mode. We were just kind of scanning the scanning the cove, just kind of seeing what was there. It was just like an observation set, and we were sitting together, and we were just, we knew they'd come down and eat these cucklebirds, walking in the main from the main part of the lake. You could just see where the deer were hammering the cucklebirds at that time. They were just nice and green. Yeah. And um, it, it, it was just, you know, it was a scouting mission is what it was. It wasn't nothing, you know, oh, we're going to go in and kill tonight. It was, let's go in and see see what's in here and then we'll go from there yeah so really an observation set turned into a kill set real quick oh yeah definitely wow definitely as you were walking in other than the you know the tracks and that they were hammering those those cockbirds um was there any other sign like rubs or scrapes that would have pointed you to a a buck of this caliber living there no it we we didn't even get in go into the woods. We we stayed on that lake edge edge, and um, it was just big tracks, and then them hammering the cucklebirs. Um, yeah. And w- when we first seen him, he was way off. So like I said, we didn't even get to like where the good stuff was. Yeah. So um, let's see here. So you you kind of just. You were shooting from the hip one night, setting up, trying to see if uh, if he was in there. Um, what time did he step out? What what time of day did you first lay eyes on him? It was it was about thirty minutes before dark. Okay, and uh, how far out was he when you first saw him? It was about three hundred when we first seen him. Okay, two hundred, two to three hundred. Were you nervous? Like obviously, when he steps out, you identify that he's a shooter. Or right away, but when like were you starting to get a little nervous? Like, oh man, I don't even know if he's going to be here by shooting light, or did he come on a string to where you were at? No, at, at first it was like nothing. We were just he would come out with a smaller buck, and uh, we were just kind of eyeing him, and uh, it was just watch. They were so far away. We're like, there's no way they're going to get here because we had like I said, we had cocoa birds in, in front of us. That's what they were eating on. So we were just. You know, nothing really. We sat there and watched them for maybe five, ten minutes, and yeah. then feeding on cucklebirds, and just like, you know, okay, you know, we have a starting point, and um, it changed in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, after, after that, after that ten minutes, it changed pretty quick. Yeah. Were there any other deer in the area or in front of you? Yeah, we see, we seen a doe and a fawn cross the cove earlier in the day, and then we actually seen his buddy. A, or a deer he was with right before we seen him okay uh he, he was a, he was a decent a he was he was wider but he was real spindly he was you could tell he was a, a younger deer yeah and so um but that was at that time those were the only two bucks that we seen together yeah all right that he was with so um you said things changed in a hurry what happened well we're sitting there watching him it, it's a it's a crazy story. We're sitting there watching him, and we're kind of hunting this little bend in the in the creek that drains into the lake. And we're standing up against this log and some cover. And uh, oh, you weren't I'm, even I'm, in a tree stand. You were on the ground. No, we were on the we were on the ground up against the log in some brush. Okay. Like like so, you know the, I don't know what they call them, but the weeds that grow the stem weeds that grow real high, like right on the water's edge. Yeah. Kind of like a willow. Uh, we were just standing in that stuff in some ghillie suits. Okay. Standing. We weren't sitting. We were just standing there. Yeah. And um, my buddy, my buddy, it was, in in all honesty, it was kind of his deal. I was, I was kind of just uh, with him at, at that time. Uh, we were just out, you know, it was a scouting mission. 
and uh so we're sitting there and and the deer comes out and he 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 didn't really seem too interested in him uh but i i'm a high and tight guy uh i know guys like these deer that are just wide and you know yeah. 30 inches or whatever you know uh but I, I like them where they're right at the ears and they just go up high for some reason that even mule deer those impress me i love those type of deer and when he stepped out and I started looking at it, I did, instantly I'm like, ooh, that, I, lo- I love the way he looks. Yeah. Um, and my buddy was kind of, you know, him hauling around. And so we're sitting there watching him. And he, if you look at the picture, that's a big old deer. I mean, yeah, yeah it's in September. He's not swollen up. But that it's a, it's a big old deer. And yeah. for some reason, he had on his mind what he wanted to do. And, he came out and he milled around for a little bit with that with his buddy, but he left him pretty quick. He he came straight at us, uh, was just speeding along the, the edge of the water, and uh, he got about halfway. And uh, my buddy kind of changed his mind a little bit. He's like, "Well, if he goes to the left, I'll let you you shoot him. If he goes to the right, I'll shoot him." I'm like, "Okay." So we're sitting there, and he's coming up. He's you know he's not moving fast but he's he he knows what he wants to do yeah and he comes walking up and he's gonna go to the uh, right so my it's my buddy's shot and so i'm i'm like like you said i'm not even nervous i'm not i'm cool calm collected i'm trying to help him see what i can do to help him get a shot at this deer and uh he pops up out of he he makes his way down to the creek to get biased and i tell him hey he's he's coming up to the right hard he's not coming where you think he is so he he turns and he's getting ready to see this deer pop up and uh i tell him hey he's right here hard hard right hard right so my buddy pops up ranges where he's gonna pop up real quick did he so he disappeared going down into like some ditch or something yeah well the creek it it drops off like okay I'm sure you're in Iowa. You're sure of this. Yeah. I mean, you're familiar with this. I mean, it was a steep drop off. Okay. And we we lost him right in front of us for a little bit because uh, okay. he, like I said, he was. If we pulled him with the string, we couldn't have pulled him any straighter to us. He like he, he came right at us and he popped down into this ditch, and then. Then he I popped back up. Pop up. Yeah, he popped up back out of us. He was going hard right, and uh, my buddy, he was going to shoot him in the ditch. Like we thought he was going to follow the ditch, and uh, he took a couple steps where he could shoot down into the ditch. I said, "No, he's he's, shoot, he's going hard right." And so my buddy, you know, he's a shooter, so he he pops back and he ranges where he, this trail this trail we walked in on. He ranges he like thirty seven yards. I'm like, okay. So the deer pops up and he starts. For some reason, none of the other deer he he like I say he had in his mind he wanted to go out into the main part of the lake where all these other deer looked like they were at because it was just hammered the cockleburs were hammered down it was just ridiculous uh, and that's that's where he wanted to go and he popped out on that trail and a, a funny part of the story right before right before this all happened there, there was you know a couple minute window there and uh he's like let's both shoot him and i'm like what he's like let's both shoot him it, and you know it just tells me you know I look at him now. He, he it, honestly, I really don't think he wanted to shoot him. Uh, he, he hunts some pretty good private, and so he, the, he hunts. He, he's looking for a little bit bigger caliber deer. Okay. And um, I just, I really don't think he wanted to shoot him. And so he's like, "Let's both shoot him." I was like, "Okay," because <laughs> we're standing right there together. So I dial my thing into thirty-seven, and the about that time, the deer pops out. And he comes walking up. He's quartering two, and I man at him. And we both we both draw back. I man at him. He's and he turns slightly towards us. I did I didn't know, really catch that until I was playing the shot over my mind later. He turns kind of slightly towards us. So he's more. So he's almost head on at this point. He's pretty close. Yeah. He, he's a lot more than what I I uh, thought at the time. Yeah. And we both shoot. I mean, we didn't count that or nothing. It's just like we both we've hunted together for years. We're just 
we were in sync. Both flung at the same time. Didn't see his, but mine, he hit, boom, hit the shoulder, and the arrow went flying up in the air. He snapped it off immediately, and the deer goes running off. Yeah. And we were celebrating. Like, 37 yards, you know, he's wide open. (laughs) Two arrows? Two arrows. Did his arrow actually hit him? At first, we thought. We thought he did. Okay. At, At first, we thought he did. Uh, but, but mine, I, I shoot real, uh, all white fletchings, white knock and it hit him and it, you know how they snap stuff off. Yep. He snapped it and it, it just went like he flung it up in the air Yeah, and it, it dropped and then he, he took off running. Yeah. So, so at this point you and your buddy think that you actually both shot this deer uh, so, like, what was the conversation afterwards? Like, who who was going to tag this animal? Whoever had the best shot. So, so you guys, you guys, I, I don't even know. This is the first time I've ever heard of anything like this. Okay. Yeah, um, it, it was. I just, I really don't think. You know, he's a younger guy. He's he, he you know, he's in his mid twenties, and he, I, he hunts. Like I said, he hunts a different caliber deer. It was so early. I just. I, I just, he probably won't tell me this, but I really think he didn't want to shoot that deer. Okay. And he was more of like, I don't understand. This is crazy. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Straight up. This is nuts. Okay. So, um, you both, at this point, you both think that you hit this deer. Um, he runs off. Um, I mean, did you, obviously you didn't see him fall. No. Okay. No, that's, uh, that's a whole nother part of the story. All right, let's go. Uh, so we're sitting there and we're watching the, the other buck stayed down in the creek, uh, the, the cove eating the cuckleburrs. Mm-hmm. He stayed down there the whole time. And so it, 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 it kind of, I wonder what he was thinking, what he wanted to do because he was on a mission. Yeah. We sat there for another 15, 20 minutes until it started, you know, it was, it was still legal shooting, but we kind of, we were so far back in, we wanted to find blood. Yeah. Kind of that type of deal. Nothing, nothing like if, even if that buck that we were watching wanted to come up, he wouldn't have made it in time. Yeah. And so we, we go down and he's getting his stuff together. I go down to get the arrow and I look, I look down in the creek where the other buck is and hear like four other bucks pop up. No shit. Yeah. Good and ones? They weren't, they weren't, no, they, they were all about the same size as the, uh, the smaller one. They were all, you know, decent. They're public land bucks. I mean, anybody yeah. would be happy, you know, but it wasn't nothing like what I just shot. Yeah. Uh, but they, they were in the Creek and the cockleburrs and they were just, you know, they just threw their head up, you know, and it was dark enough where they're like, well, you know, what's that? Yeah. Um, but there was, there was a lot more deer there than what we thought. That's okay. how thick it was. Gotcha. And so I, I find the arrow. I find, I mean, it's a he, it's a definite trail or a, a, a very defined trail. So it was really easy. To follow the blood? Follow the blood. Yeah. And, Dan, I've never seen this. I've never had this happen to me in my life. Never, probably ever will I do unless I shoot one in, in this uh, type of area. But we're, we're following the blood, and it's up on the, it's up on the cuckleburrs, and it's, we follow the deer, and instantly, as soon as, you know, you shoot deer sometimes, and you're like 20 yards into the track, you're like, okay, he's dead, it's right here somewhere. Yeah. It was one of them type of deals. Like, we, we're walking like 20 yards, and we're looking for him already. Yeah. Um, so I figured I I either hit, at the time, I figured I hit him in the heart good, you know, I, you know, he's right here. Yeah. And so, but this keeps going on for like 30 minutes. <laughs> like, we're following, he's zigzagging through the cuckleburrs. Lots of blood. There was so much blood, our pants were red. Okay, walking through the grass. Like, yeah. Well, no, the cuckleburrs were so high. They oh were yeah, like, yeah. They were like chest high, and there was there was so much blood, it was just our pants were red. Okay. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, it, it made me nervous, but I was like, there's so much blood, this deer cannot be alive. Yeah. And. Probably two to three hundred yards we traveled. He zigzagged through these cuckleburrs. Uh, just, I don't know, just the will to live. I don't know how he lost that much blood. Yep. So we go through the cove, 
and he, he's headed out to the main lake. We're zigzagging, zigzagging, and this it's probably been 45 minutes by this time, and he he jumps the creek and it's just streaming over the creek, just like good God. And we get up to where we're gonna get back up into the timber off the lake, and I look up and I see eyes looking at me, and I'm like, there's no way that deer is still alive. And I, he turns, and I, and I see his rack in my light. I'm like, how in the world is this thing still alive? It's, it's 45 minutes, and this... Like a pint or two of blood. A blood trail. You couldn't split a spray a blood trail any more definite than what this was the yeah. whole time. No question. Never, and You never lost track of the blood, the blood trail? You're just no, like... No. We could have turned the lights off and followed it. It was that... <laughs> oh wow it was when i say our pants were red that i'm not i'm not exaggerating i'm not our pants we were soaked with blood and uh so i'm i'm like we're trying to figure out what in the world so we're trying to figure out how you know what to do now uh i've i've never really had to deal with this so i'm like is it legal to shoot him is it this that or the other and so we we could get up to about ten. He didn't want to move. He he was laying up in some little a little bit of brush. He did not want to move. Hurt, could, I could get bad. about ten, ten. Yeah, I was I could get about ten yards from him. And um, I I did, I really didn't know what to do. And I mean it it, it might be illegal. I'm 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 not for sure. Uh, but I was going to shoot him again. Yeah. Um, but I, I got I got about ten yards from him, and he he hopped up and he took two hops and. He started walking again, real slow. Yeah. And instantly, me and my buddy are like, "He's a dead deer." I we laid the bow down and we went back and got the cart. Like it was one of them things where, like, he's hurt that bad. He's not going anywhere. Did you see where and, you hit him? No, not at this time yet. Okay, all right. And so it, it was one of those things where we had a long enough walk back. We're like, we go get the cart. Uh, by the time we come back, it'll be you know hour and a half. He'll be dead by then. It, 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 it was just, we didn't even worry about, oh, we jumped him. You know, how sometimes you're like, you know, I knew we knew the shot was good enough. And at this time, we still think we both hit him. Uh, so we knew the shot was good enough. It was just, you know, we got to wait for him to die now. Yeah. So we went back. We would go back, get the cart, uh, come back, and uh, pick up the blood. And there's not a whole lot of blood where he was laying, so that, I was kind of wondering like what's going on there. But I could, as soon as he got up, he started pouring again, and he went maybe 50 yards, and he went back down into the lake and the cuckleburrs, and he kind of just kind of halfway fell, laid down into the cuckleburrs, and there he laid. Yeah. So you walk up to and, him, right? And what what was this whole? What was the like? Assuming there's two arrows in him, or or whatever, right? Yep. We we were assuming. Uh, we walk up to him, and it, it was just you know, oh my goodness, this thing. It was just the body size at first, like it. Like, this is a big old deer. It, he yeah. looked like it was November. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as we got over that, we started. We flipped him over, like okay, where we hit him, and. I didn't know it at the time, but like I said, he did quarter two, and I hit him. I hit him right in front of the front of the shoulder uh, on the onside, and it stuck in the shoulder on the offside. Uh, and I clipped. I did. I guess I missed some. I missed it enough, but I I clipped some arteries in there. Yeah. That's all I hit. I didn't hit the esophagus, but there was obviously not some major ones. But I hit enough in there where he wasn't going anywhere. So you hit right where that crease hits the shoulder and the neck, somewhere right in there. Right, right. I mean, that's perfect. That line where that crease yep. is, I hit that, and I just I drove right into, kind of in front of the offside shoulder, not directly on it, but like just in front of it, I hit. Yeah. And I just, I clipped all that good stuff going into the, into the heart and the lungs. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man. A lot of people will say, Oh, that's not a very ethical shot, but, and 
I mean, not, and I'm talking about a head-on shot. All right, you actually had some quarter to your to your position, but right. man, I don't know if a deer is close enough. I've taken head-on shots with some does and, and some bucks in the past, and if you can get it in there, I mean, if you're confident and you can get that in there, uh, real good. That is a deadly. That's a deadly shot. In, in my opinion, I've, I've shot other deer that way, head-on, quarter and two. In my opinion, it's more deadly than a broadside. Yeah. Because you have all them arteries, plus you have the heart lungs. You, there's a lot. There's a lot. If you know your angles, there's a lot of stuff in there that you can clip that's yeah. going to put them down. And you're going long ways with the with the broadhead instead of, uh, you know, the uh, perpendicular, I guess you would say, where you're you know a broadhead hole is just going to go through a lung and then another lung and it's only the size of a 50 cent piece or something like that as opposed to if you're hitting them at more of an angle it's just these long cuts all the way through the lung right like it, you can double lung a deer but if you hit him back in those lungs he's going to go away yeah he, he might even survive yeah uh when you're when you're hitting him head on like that all that it's just like everything's right there and you're taking the whole thing out yeah you're Absolutely. not just taking the back half of it. You're, and even the heart. I mean, it's you're not taking out a piece. You're going through the whole main part of it. It's just the more and the more I. It's like that is the shot. It's not broadside. It's quarter and two, or it's head on. I yep. mean, th- those are deadly, deadly shots, yep. and they're they put them down quicker than any kind of broadside shot, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Yep. I mean, uh, teach their own, right? Uh, you know, obviously there's people out there who will say, oh, I know that's uh, ridiculous. You can never take that shot. Blah, blah, blah. I only take on, I only shoot broad, a hundred percent broadside shots, whatever. Anyway. Um, right. Well, I've never been that way. Like I, I, I hunt a lot of thicker area. Like I, like I said, I hunt edge, I hunt, you know, where these tight spots, and a lot of times I don't have time to wait for him to get to that perfect broadside or right. that perfect angle. Yeah. I need to shoot that deer when I can shoot that deer. Right. And I found, you know, if you have a, a good arrow set up, you have a good a good broadhead, um, you can shoot that deer where he's at. You just have to know your angle, where yeah. to shoot him. Yep, absolutely. And so, uh, so- I, I've never I've I've never liked that analogy where oh i gotta wait for him to, I, I i love it where i can well that deer was right there and i shot him yeah. right here at that and i took out all that yeah absolutely so you walk up to him you realize he's a, a big mature buck uh nice great body size um now you start to investigate the shot placement here all right um and you see that you know we just talked about where you hit him then did you then you started looking for your your buddy's uh shot where he hit him what was what's the scenario well we flip him over we look where it's see where i hit him it's all you know perfect you know couldn't be any better and we're like oh i we we didn't see anything initially we're like oh i guess you shot right under him and uh so we roll him over and we're kind of just t- getting ready to take some pictures and i look and i see this slit like right under his heart and i'm like there's no freaking way and so I go up and I start looking at it. I'm like, is it fresh? You know, they get scraped up by all kinds of stuff. Yep. And it was, it, it's a clean slit right under his heart where he hit him. So, like, in his brisket? In his brisket. It, it, it didn't catch, like, a meaty part of it, but it it was enough where he you could tell that's where he hit. That's where it, it was his arrow. Okay. Was that arrow alone going to kill that deer? No, not even, not even close. Okay, yeah. So it was it was more of a a wound, uh, you know, like a slit on his hair and the brisket. It didn't actually go right. into the deer. No. Okay. No. All right. So at this point, you're like, holy shit! I, me, I just killed this deer, right? Because obviously you had the the kill shot. Um, right. There was no. There's. I mean, there was no questions. I mean, at that point, it just became like congratulations, right? No, yeah, we celebrated, and we were, you know, it was instant, you know, happy. He was happy for me. I was happy. I was happy that we got it done. It was just, you know, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that we this happened. Yeah. 
and then the drag, right? I mean, you said it's a long ways to get back in there and you did it on foot. Um, what was the drag out like? Uh, brutal, (laughs) especially, (laughs) especially after a work week, you know, it was on a Friday night. Oh, Jesus. Uh, in September. Yeah. Uh, on a big 200 plus pound deer. Yeah. Uh, it, we started dragging, it was about nine thirty, and it was after midnight before we got back to the truck. Yeah. Man. And that's with a cart. Yeah. <sighs> it, it ended up, it ended up being almost two miles. It was like 1.7, 1.8 miles yeah. straight. Oh man. That's, uh, that's and, gnarly. Um, I know that I know in certain States, you know, like, uh, I know Iowa is one of them. If you, I don't care how far back you shoot a, a deer, you cannot quarter them out. You have to drag the whole deer out, uh, and take them away. You can't, I mean, obviously you can, you can, uh, cut the guts out, but you can't, you can't quarter a deer up. Really? Yep. See that, that, that's something I'm investigating, uh, this year is quartering them after, yeah. <laughs> after this, all it takes is one time, especially when you're older guy like us uh and you shoot a big mature deer that far back you know i'm later on i'm thinking about this whole situation i'm like what if i was by myself yeah (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) you would have had to get that boat right well no the water was so low there was no way we could even boat in oh really oh dang yeah so you're yeah you're dragging it regardless oh man um did it damage the cape at all no beautiful cape no uh because we had them on a cart, so oh uh, okay, yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, that 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 that's how hard it was. It, it took us, it took us, you know, a good three hours with a cart. That's how crazy the train was. Um, how that's big, gnarly, man. big the deer. It was just you know, everybody thinks the cart. Oh, you just wheel it out. It's you know, when you're going through the woods, it's a little bit harder than that. Yeah, and the rocky uh, bank. Right. Rock, rock, rocky ground up and down, yep. you know, yep. briars, you know, it's not mid November, it's September. Right. And Hot you got balls. all these briars and everything else, uh, else around. And it was, it was far enough back. I, 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 this thought went through my mind. When we were walking in, you know, if anything happens tonight, it, it's a big buck or nothing. Right. It was that far back. It's like, you're, it's, it's, you're not shooting a doe back here. Right. Uh, right. Type of area. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's what, that's part of the story. And that's what, you know, we still talk about it. You know, we joke about it. Like, man, that was so awesome dragging that deer out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'll tell you, man. Um, and you know, kind of, I got a, a little story here. I, my stepdad double lunged a buck. Oh man. Er, I want to say early two thousands double lunged him. And I'm talking just the easiest blood trail to follow. No, it wasn't in tall grass. It was just in like short grass through a cattle pasture, through some timber across the road. And we're like, okay, we're, and I just keep asking him, where did you hit this deer? He's like, I, I double lunged him. He's right behind the shoulder, right behind the shoulder. And we followed this blood trail for, uh, I'm going to say a mile, a just constant blood constant blood and finally we track it into a alfalfa field down uh, across this road by a river and his head was still up like his head was still up and i I was completely amazed at how this buck was not dying because i bet you it lost two pints of blood if not more from the place that he shot him to where he was laying and when we you know opened him up and gotten there was no blood in his body at all so yeah the veins and stuff uh and like like the cavity or anything like yeah. i said when i when we when we field dressed him it was the cleanest like it was just there he had no blood left right right it's just it it, it amazes me their will to survive there's sometimes I, i've shot deer and it's like oh my goodness that shot sucked yeah and they go 20 yards and fall over yeah and then I, there's a couple of shots I've hit deer. It's like, oh, you're down. And yeah. then, you know, three hours later. Yeah. One one thing that I've uh, kind of noticed is it's like, this is going to sound weird, but 
I've shot a lot of deer. I like, I get nervous shooting like right. I got like tucking it right in behind the shoulder. Like I get nervous about that shot. So I always kind of aim a little bit back, right? Give myself some play. And uh-huh. I've shot some deer that in the, in the liver before, maybe like a liver, uh-huh. one, a one lung liver, or maybe a, um, a double liver shot. And they die fast with a liver shot, like real fast, yeah. almost as fast as a double lung. Yeah, if, if you can sliver that liver, if like, like you said, the long ways and not yeah. just clip it, you know, with a blade or something, but if, yeah. if you can sliver that liver, but you're right. Yeah. They will die as quick, if not quicker. Yeah. Uh, than a, than a double long. Yeah. For so, some reason, it's like, you know, uh, I'm a big MMA. I like watching MMA. Yeah. You know, them guys getting kicked in the liver, and it just shuts everything down. And I think that has something to do with it. it just, yeah. If, if you can hit that liver perfect, it just it shuts them shuts them down. Yep, absolutely. Well, um, just for reference, uh, you know, it doesn't matter, but uh, did you score them at all? What are we looking at for an eight-pointer here? I, I've, I've never scored a deer. There's none of deer on my wall that I've scored. Good man. It, uh, I like... I like uh, if a deer gets me going, that's the one I want to shoot. Fact, fact. That's a good. That's uh, a good model, man. I think I've only scored yeah. one of my deer uh, ever. So, uh, and it was because I got peer pressured into it. So, um, good man there. Thank you very much, Jonathan. First off, congratulations on one hell of a uh, a season, right? I mean, that's a that's an awesome memory, an awesome experience. And uh, thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on the show, and good luck in 2021. Not a problem, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate your podcast, uh, and uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. You, I, I enjoy it every week listening to you. You, you, uh, you keep me pumped up <laughs> if I can get any more pumped up. <laughs> yeah, I feel if we get any more pumped up, we're going to be having to go to therapy. Oh my, it's, you know, it's, it's to that point. Like I, I talk to guys at work and they're like, Oh, I'm glad something else is coming up. I'm like, not me, man. I'm it's constant. Like I said, constant deer, 365 days a year. And there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books, huge shout out to Jonathan for taking time out of his day to hop on and chit chat with us. Huge shout out to you for taking time out of your day to hop on and listen to the nine finger chronicles, man really appreciate that. And all of the podcasts on the sportsman's nation network, huge shout out to all of the partners, vortex lone wolf, ozonics and wasp. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast and uh, please subscribe, uh, follow along on Instagram, subscribe on iTunes or wherever podcasts can be downloaded. And, uh, communicate right communicate with me communicate with other people within this community that we've created here and i'm telling you it's worth it and and uh, other average joes can help you out i just know it uh in some way shape or form ask the questions and someone with intelligence will answer so uh, there's that and be kind to your neighbor right the golden rule do one to others and uh, we'll talk to you next time Thank you.